it's incredibly empowering because I spent the last three months, I mean, basically I finished it in December and started working out how I was going to put it together and how I was going to market it and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I've spent the last three months of lockdown, pretty much the entirety of lockdown has been learning how to publish a book. And I have, I mean, I have a notebook literally filled with all the stuff that I've had to learn. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Freelance Pod. My name's Sachandrika, and I'll be your host. So, in this episode, I'm really excited to uh, welcome author Flora Baker, whose book, The Adult Orphan Club, is available for pre order now and is out on the 20th of June, uh, which is this Saturday. Flora's book is about a story very close to my heart. Uh, we're both adult orphans, we both lost our parents at a very early age. Uh, Flora lost her mum at 20 and her dad uh, a few years ago at 30 and I lost my parents when I was 16 and when I was 19. We actually met because of this reason, well we haven't met in real life yet but we've uh, met over the internet. So we found ourselves in this WhatsApp group called the Young Orphans WhatsApp group which I've written about and I've um, put a link in the show notes. There's a group set up by Catherine Horgan in December 2019 um, around Christmas in response to a grief cast tweets, grief cast is a podcast by comedian uh, Carrie Lloyd, where uh, people talk about grief. And um, her Twitter feed posted a message asking for people who had resources around um, being an orphan at Christmas. And I saw that tweet and I thought it was very interesting that um, the issue of being an orphan wasn't addressed very often. And so I looked down the thread and saw that um, Catherine had offered to put a WhatsApp group together and so I joined it and now kind of seven months down the line the group is well over 80 people from all over the world. Laura started out as a travel blogger but now has self-published her own book which um, is about how she has coped with her, the deaths of both of her parents but also it's like a really practical guide to what to do because there's a lot of admin after someone you love dies. And in Flora's case, she's been an only child, having to cope with, with all this stuff herself. So um, I spoke to Flora, remotely of course, about self-publishing and blogging and um, the importance of promoting your book on your social channels. But also, she was in the Telegraph this week as well, in a beautiful socially distanced photo shoot. So I saw what it was like to get her first newspaper byline as well. So um, here's Flora Baker. When I realised that that WhatsApp group, WhatsApp group existed, um, I just, I think I'd never realised how, I, I knew how lonely I'd been having lost my parents. I knew how few people I knew who'd been through it. Um, but I hadn't quite realised the difference it would make to have people around me who understood um, even if it is digital, even if it's on a, a WhatsApp conversation, it doesn't really make a difference because it's it's being able to say all the stuff that you're scared of saying to friends in case they are too overwhelmed by it or in case they take a step back. And when you're going through that kind of grief, you're you're so vulnerable because you don't fully understand what's happening to you. And you don't want to tell other people because you're scared that yeah they might leave they might go away they might not want to like might want to not want to hear you um and being in a group of i think it's 80 people now 
from all over the world, all of whom have lost a parent, both parents. And having that support system, yeah, I didn't think I, I didn't think I needed it until I had it. And then now I can't imagine not having it. <laughs> I think grief is an incredibly creative experience. Um, beyond anything, I think it's because it's one of the most emotional things you go through in your life. I mean, it's the most long lasting experience that you'll ever have. And I think it's human nature to try and, I don't know, try and try and utilize it in some way. Like I've, I've often felt, and I don't like this about myself, but I've often felt that I kind of have to create something positive as a result of having lost my parents, because then it gives a bit of worth to the fact that they died like the actual physical thing about them dying it, it kind of puts some legitimacy to it. it it's not just that they died and it was all for naught like they died and then at least I could do something that maybe helped other people go through their own experiences of grief um but yeah there's a lot of people in the whatsapp group who are artists who are writers who are musicians um and a lot of us do seem to have this ability to tap into something expressionistic I guess um but I think it's a processing tool definitely I, I would oh I can't even imagine what grief would have been like if I hadn't been writing about it I mean writing personally as well as writing publicly because I've it was a weird thing like when my mum first got like obviously ill um and it was a shocking a shocking moment I mean we were in the house and we had to call an ambulance at 3am and she had to be rushed to hospital in an ambulance and um and the first thing I did was grab my computer and start writing down what was going on. And I still don't really know why I did that, but I think it was something to do with, I have to keep a record of what's going on in case I forget. I still don't know why I needed to not forget, <laughs> but I, I just had this sensation that I had to keep the information somewhere. And as a result, that's kind of not continued with the same level of intensity, but I did the same thing when dad was ill. Um, and I don't necessarily look back on it that often, but it definitely helped me put some kind of framework to what was happening, some kind of structure. My mum's death was very quick and very unexpected. And it happened over a period of about two weeks, you know, suddenly she was terminal and then suddenly she was gone. And I still can't remember the actual details of what was happening at the time, except I have that writing. So I can see like little details, you know, and I am weirdly quite happy that I have it. As an only child, and it's 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 weird as well, like I feel almost like I'm besmirching my dad, but it wasn't that my dad and I weren't close before mum died. It's just that we didn't have a relationship like I had with my mum. So she knew everything about me. She constantly wanted to be my friend. Um, my dad was a very busy person. He was working a lot because we weren't, we didn't have much money when I was growing up. And so I didn't have like a specifically kind of fun, let's have a chat relationship with him so much. And so, yeah, when suddenly we realized, oh, mom's going, mom's not going to be here. It was so surreal because I only had this perspective of my dad as quite a kind of distant thing. And, and suddenly a, I saw him as being vulnerable because, yeah, before mum, I think the only time I'd ever seen him cry was when we had to bury my cat in the garden 
and he was crying at the grave. And I remember thinking, like, this is extraordinary. My dad doesn't cry. What's going on? Um, but yeah, when when mum had gone, suddenly it was just me and him. And that was very strange because we didn't, yeah, we didn't have a relationship and I had no one else to bounce off. Mum had always been like that third person. Um, and she was the person I just kind of talked to about stuff. And then it had to be my dad or nobody. So I guess maybe I did half my dad and half writing things down. And that was that was maybe where I where I chatted to somebody. But yeah, not having a sibling going through that is very weird because you you do you feel very much like you need to have someone who's in your corner for you. And my dad obviously was in my corner, but he was also losing his wife and he was losing the mum of his kid and he was losing I'm I think his best friend. And that was very difficult. Mum died at the start of two thousand nine. Um, and I was in my second year at uni um, and I was doing American literature and creative writing. So part of my degree had a year abroad component in it. And just when we found out that she was ill slash dying, um, I just got into San Francisco State for my year abroad. Um, and that was due to start in September of, of 2009. So my mum had had a stroke and wasn't really lucid but she had a few moments of lucidity which I'm insanely grateful for and at one of those one of those moments um I think it was Christmas day actually sitting in hospital and she'd said like please don't let this stop you from going to America like you have to go to America we all want like we've all wanted you to go for ages and it's going to be fantastic you have to go um and it wasn't like I'd felt I couldn't go because of her dying but just her having said that before it even before she actually died gave me complete freedom to do it um, and I'd always loved traveling anyway. My parents were both, um, my dad was a theater director, mum was a theater actress. So they both did a hell of a lot of tours and stuff when they were, um, before they were together. And travel was a big part of our family. So I went on my year abroad to America and it was like a holiday from the grief because my grieving was very visual. Like I, I would see mum's hand around the tube pole and I would like hear her voice in a crowd and I would see someone who looked like her and it was very weird and was probably the, the grief that I should have like allowed myself to feel but it was way too intense it felt too emotional um so when I went to America I didn't get that because somehow my mind kind of knew that I'd never been in San Francisco with my mum so seeing like echoes of her physically didn't really happen um and because it was such a different thing to be doing like I was around a completely different group of people different country um and it felt really it felt really good and I was really grateful for it so when I finished uni a year later I I started traveling because you know you you did that anyway like going off traveling after uni was a was an easy thing to do um and I then just kind of kept going um having daily challenges in travel kind of eclipsed having the very intense personal grief challenge that I was supposed to be dealing with that I just was like nope I have to look for hostels I have to get a train I have to learn how to navigate this language and that was it kind of eclipsed everything so um when I was traveling I started blogging um and yeah predominantly I think only actually about travel um but I knew that I wanted to talk about my mum but obviously you're not going to do that in a hostel you're not going to chat to some like group of Larry Larry lads about like your mom's death you're going to drink beers with them instead so I didn't really have it was almost like I'd I'd what's the phrase like I'd kind of stopped myself from having the opportunity like I, I kind of did it I cock blocked myself basically I didn't let myself 
talk about grief because I'd put myself in a situation where I couldn't. Um, and I did that for like five years, I think. Um, but after quite a while, whenever I came back to London, basically, wherever, whenever I came back to see my dad, um, I'd come back to the family house and obviously echoes of mum abound. Like she was a very, she wasn't a hoarder, but she was kind of getting to it. Like every single physical object that I'd ever touched had like sentimental value for her. And same with just everything, like anywhere she traveled to, anything she saw that was pretty or lovely, she kept it. So my family house was like absolutely filled to the brim with um, with stuff of hers. So whenever I was here, I found it really difficult. Um, and that just kind of made me want to go away more. But conversely, I also then wanted to remember about her more when I, you know, when it felt right, I did. Um, so I think I, I think the first thing I wrote online about mum was maybe 2012, I think, was when I was home for Christmas and I'd just suddenly been looking through stuff in my house and suddenly realised how much I missed her and just how shit Christmas was without her. It was a completely empty experience in comparison to how good it had been with her. Um, and I had a huge outpouring of people just saying how sorry they were and how nice it was to to read about it, but so awful as well, you know. And, and that felt really good, but also really scary. So I didn't do it very much because it did feel very over emotional. Um, but then over the next few years, I think as I started to process the fact that she'd gone a bit more, I then started writing about grief a bit more. And then it just kind of ended up becoming a much more, I don't know, like something just I, I, I found a lot more um, depth in it. I love writing about travel, but I can't help being like doing it from a very personal slant um and now particularly because I've been writing this book it's I don't know there's there's a there's a big difference between writing about somewhere that's nice that people want to go to and talking about your experiences of it and stuff yeah wonderful but whatever as opposed to writing about an incredibly difficult time and then getting people messaging you saying thank you so much I don't feel quite so alone with this now that I know someone else has gone through it or thank you for putting how I feel into words so I don't have to I've been able to show what you've written to like my my partner or my friend and like they know now how I feel and I haven't had to do it and that's taken the emotional brunt of it out for me and that's amazing thank you that kind of stuff like you don't get that from writing about traveling <laughs> but you do get it from grief writing so yeah it's it's something that I'm I'm firmly passionate about doing and I feel like it's I feel like it's got a lot more value to it than what I was doing before The way this this book that I've written originated was that I had written a blog post, um, I think about a year ago now, that was um, the biggest kind of grief reveal one, I guess. And it was called something like um, Averagely Buzzfeedy. It was, uh, I lost both my parents before I turned 30. This is how I deal with grief. And I wrote it partly because I knew that I'd get traffic for it. Um, and I've been blogging for eight years or had been blogging for seven years at that point. And I kind of, I, I knew that that had a potential. Um, but it was more the fact that I just, I, I knew that I've been, I'd been getting messages from people about grief, but not a huge amount of them. And I knew that if I wrote this, there's, there was more likelihood that I'd get people getting in touch with me. Um, and I was at a point in my grief with my dad that I had done so much processing and learned so much and been through so much that putting it all together putting the article together was a processing of my grief 
in itself um and then publishing it and knowing that it could maybe help some other people as well was another like aspect as to why I wanted to do it um but yeah so I published that article and it's very quickly became like the article that I get the most traffic on on my site hands down and I get messages every week still like a year later um predominantly because people are finding it on Google and being like thank you so much for writing down the stuff that I've been going through and as a result of that article I knew there was so much more stuff I hadn't said um so I started writing a book um but it was always intended to be relatively little that's why I I kind of hadn't thought about taking it to, to traditional publishers or looking for agents or anything because I was pretty much just imagining it would be like an extended version of the article um and I'd you know I'd whack it on my site and I'd just sell it on my site um but the more I worked on it the more I started to realize that I didn't just want to write a expanded version of the article I kind of wanted it to be something more meaty and more meaningful and have a bit more kind of oomph behind it um and I finished a draft at the end of last year and talk to a few of my kind of writing mentor people um, and let them see it. And they basically said, I really think you should publish this as a proper thing, but it doesn't have to go to a, to a trad publisher because um, essentially I had always been under the delusion that a traditional publishing deal was the better version and that that was the thing that I had to want because that gave me validation from an outside source and that having an agent say, yes, I think your your writing has merit and the same being said from a publisher, I thought that that was what I needed to feel valid as a writer. Um, but when I talked to some friends in the writing world about it, they started to get me thinking differently and I very quickly realised that when you self-publish, you have complete control over what you're putting out. You control the time frame, you control how much marketing you do, you control... Uh, what it looks like you have the power to change it drastically you can disseminate it in a hundred different ways um and as soon as I started researching I realized how much more fun it was to do it this way and also it's incredibly empowering because I spent the last three months I mean basically I finished it in December and started working out how I was going to put it together and how I was going to market it and all that kind of stuff um and I've spent the last three months of lockdown, pretty much the entirety of lockdown has been learning how to publish a book. And I have, I mean, I have a notebook literally filled with all the stuff that I've had to learn. Um, but, you know, finding copy editors, finding proofreaders, finding a cover designer, learning how to format a book for, for print, learning how to format for an EPUB, learning how Amazon works to get it up there in the first place. So much research on marketing. Um, it's It's been really really exciting and also really fun and also I now feel like I know an entire industry that if I had taken it to a trad publisher or an agent I wouldn't have been able to see that side like it would have been kept back from me and I would have had to stick to someone else's time frame um if I'd started looking for agents I would probably still be doing it now there wouldn't be a book coming out until probably at least 2022 I would imagine um I also have a lot of self-deprecation so it would have been very difficult for me to feel ready enough or prepared enough to even send it to an agent in the first place um whereas doing it this way this matches how I've been as a blogger as well because blogging is something that you have complete control over and um that has taken me in leaps and bounds into feeling confident as a writer and it pretty much yeah it just carries straight over into into self-publishing really it's um 
it hasn't, I mean, the book hasn't come out yet, but even with the channels that I've put it onto, like, you know, the, the reception has been really good. And I know that most people who have said nice things about it don't really, I don't think they necessarily have an understanding of what traditional publishing versus self-publishing even is, or do they even care? Like, I think I've had one message from somebody asking who my publisher was and that's it, you know, like no one really seems to mind. Um, so I'm not really talking about it to the kind of wider world about it unless, unless people ask. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a really exciting, um, facet of the publishing industry. And I think it's only going to get more popular. Like self-publishing is, is an increasingly popular thing to do. Sadly, obviously there'll be people who use that to just disseminate pretty shoddy work. But I think if you treat what you're creating with the same, you know, level of care that you would if it was going a traditional route, I don't see why it should look any different. Having been a writer ever since I started having an online presence, I think in the back of my mind, it was always there. Like I always knew that I'd at some point want to use the channels I have for marketing books. Um, that said, it's been really amazing how, yeah, how many people I've, I've been able to to garner to like read the book for me because I had a couple of friends who were travel writers who are travel writers um and we're close as a result of like liking each other's writing styles and and supporting each other that way um so they were my first beta readers and then um finding an editor I'm part of a lot of Facebook groups again this happened all during lockdown I was finding all this stuff but various um self-publishing groups online um and I found various editors sent chapters to a few of them to do sample edits and then chose one woman. Um, my designer, my cover designer, I found via Instagram because someone, another writer friend had had an illustration done for an article she'd written in a, in a magazine and my designer, Vanessa had illustrated it. So I messaged her and asked if, if she worked on book illustration or book design. Uh, my proofreader was somebody I went to uni with who was looking um, for new work to take on over lockdown and I got in touch with her um and then the whatsapp group um <laughs> I've had some some wonderful readers from the whatsapp group because they're my target audience of this book so it made absolute sense including you you have also read it um but I think yeah I think finding the um finding all the different platforms that you use and like looking at them differently looking at them in terms of where you can get like I think I could have easily done shout outs on on Twitter and stuff and said you know anybody who's who's suffered a loss and wants to um give me some some feedback on a book I'm writing I think that would have worked just as well I think that's probably something I should do for another book later down the line um but yeah I think that kind of stuff is also really interesting because if I'd gone traditional I would have had I mean I'm guessing but I think I would have had uh, proofreaders and and beta readers from within a publishing industry's um, set of people, right? It wouldn't have been people that I'd found myself, um, which I'm sure would have been totally fine, but it would have been people I didn't know. Whereas there's a, there's an element of, of personal relationship that I've had with all the people who've read my stuff already, which on one hand, you might think they'd then be more complimentary because they already know me. But I think it's it's not even that it's more the fact that they've got a bit more vested interest. So they're more likely to be honest or more likely to properly think about it. Um, I hope anyway, but yeah, I think 
looking for all the people to read it first is so valuable and so important. And I think having been part of a lot of these um, these self-publishing groups online, a lot of people do seem to shy away from it because they maybe are quite scared of having people read their stuff. Um, the perfectionist streak can come out. And I think people sometimes think, oh, well, no one will read it until I've got it to the best level I can possibly get it to. And then I'll send it to someone to read and then I'll publish it, which is an error because you need to have someone reading it through the process. I think my first draft, I had my editor, my first draft, I had my, my two beta readers read it. Um, and then I made edits based on what they'd said. And then I did a whole, that yeah, second edit, sent it to my editor. Then I did a whole third edit after she'd read it. Um, and then I did another edit after my proofreader had read it. So it went through at least, I think maybe five iterations. Um, I'm sure I'll read it in about a month and find tons of things I want to change. And then the beauty with self-publishing is if there is stuff I want to change, I can. I can just make the edits, re-upload to Amazon, boom. And that's pretty amazing. Like, I could not do that if I was publishing through a publishing house. Cost is an interesting one. I mean, I've kept it under a thousand. Let's put it that way. Yeah. But again, that's from a lot of researching. Like, I I had a budget in mind and I've I've kept track. I'm looking at it now. I've kept track of what I wanted to spend and how much I have spent. And there's also a lot of things that you don't necessarily think about. Like, I mean, I bought ISBN numbers, which some people don't do. Um, but if you buy 10 ISBN numbers, that costs you 160 quid. Like, that, it's just something that I didn't even know I'd have to do. <laughs> and um, yeah, there's a lot of, there can be a lot of hidden costs. And obviously you've got to have a bit of self-belief because otherwise you are just spending money without knowing if you'll ever make it back. Um, I will be obviously keeping an eye on how much I make from the book. And like when I've gone over the amount I spent, I'll be very happy because then I'll be in the black and that'll be great. I am terrible at pitching because my whole ethos for blogging has been think of an idea, write the idea, publish the idea, done. Whereas for pitching, it's think of the idea, try and not write the actual story, but write it succinctly in like three paragraphs, look for someone who might want it, get in touch with them, fail at that, and then feel crap and then not write it at all. Um, which is a really shit way of thinking about pitching in the first place. I know this. But also, yeah, like I've from all the places I have pitched, I've I've had a few yeses, but most of them are no's, which is obviously the way it goes for lots of people. Um, but I have yeah, I had a crisis of confidence with doing it a lot. Um, so with Telegraph, that was a really exciting, um, hopefully has been a really exciting shift for me because now I feel much more confident about pitching people. I've sent like three or four in the last week, which has been really good. Um, but the Telegraph was a slightly different situation because I had been on a press trip with somebody to Scotland maybe four years ago who now is a commissioning editor at the Telegraph. So she got in touch with me and she asked if I wanted to write something for them. Um, so that took all of the pressure off me having to pitch. Um, and I was basically just asked if I wanted to write the story, um, which, yeah, was a fantastic opportunity. And I have been, yeah, it's been a really good shift to know that that storyline or that, that topic is something that I, you know, is totally valid to be in um, in a publication like The Telegraph you know i think both of us as as writers had had started social channels a long time ago um mine have just carried me from blogging into 
from travel blogging into grief writing into kind of personal stuff now into book um and a lot of the people who what's been really lovely from the from the telegraph was i've had so many people from so many different facets of my life getting in touch and and saying that you know it's great how i've managed to to kind of yeah segue the grief stuff into something a bit more positive um and that's it's been quite enlightening because I've realized it's a lot of people that I've met when traveling and a lot of people that I've yeah known from like past past bits of my life are still kind of keeping tabs which I think is really nice um and it makes me realize that a lot of yeah a lot of the social channels is like people who've who found me because they like my writing so it's you know blog related and travel blogging related um but also yeah just people in general who I've who I've met and interacted with and stuff as well so um those channels have grown because I've had them for like seven years I guess seven eight years first tip for publicizing a book I think would be utilizing your social channels in a way that isn't just solely pushing the thing that you're trying to sell um I tend to use all of my social channels as like a full personality thing. So I'm, I'm often talking about travel. I'm often talking about grief. I'm often talking about getting rid of pigeons from my garden because they're attacking my courgettes. Um, it's, it's a whole, you, you want to kind of be a fully rounded person on those channels and then people are more likely to empathize with you and, and respond to the stuff that you're talking about. So my second tip would be, um, think about how you're actively going to announce that you've written a book because I know that a lot of people tend to go through stage by stage of what they're doing and build up um, kind of what acceleration of, of what's going on that way. Um, for me, I did it completely opposite and I, I kind of didn't mention at all that I was writing something, perhaps because I was trying to be very um, protective of it, but also because I kind of knew that I wanted it to all come out in a like one big splash Um and for me, doing a cover reveal at the same time as surprise everybody, I'm actually now a, an author, um, was definitely the right way to go for me. And it's meant that I came out with a big bang the first moment. And I've now worked out a, a system of capitalizing off that. So every few days, there's something else that I'm um, that I'm pushing out. And it's a pretty good way of, yeah, just kind of keeping momentum going, really. Um my third thing would be, particularly for self-publishing, considering whether or not you want to do pre-order, um, because I debated over it for a long time, and eventually I went for it because I thought it made me feel more like a like a serious author um, to have a pre-order date. But also, it's meant that I've been able to say lots of "Oh, only five days until the book comes out" and stuff, and it's meant that I've had more people asking to do podcast recordings. I've had more people wanting to help me market it. Um, it feels like a more authentic way of doing it. I don't quite know why. Um, I think it's something that we've all been, um, we've been made used to by traditional publishing um, that pre-order has to be a thing. But I think it's an important um, decision to make because if you just suddenly make a book live, um, people are like, oh, you've written a book. Oh, and it's there. Okay. But this way I've been able to, yeah, garner interest before it's even really available. People are kind of excited about the potential of it being available. And I think that's, um, that's worked for me. And of course, there's the whole other aspect of pre-ordering, um, which took me a long time to properly understand, is that when you've, um, the week after you've published the book, that first week um, gives you your ranking in Amazon. 
And obviously, if you're self-publishing, there's probably much less likelihood that you're going to get um, a bestseller. And also, I mean, does it matter? Does it not? I mean, I'm, I'm not really sure. But in terms of the reason why traditional publishers will have a book on pre-order for six months is because they're, they're accumulating all of the data, all of the people who've pre-ordered the book, all of those sales will count for that first launch week. So if you've had a book on sale for six months pre-order um, and you've made 3,000 sales, those 3,000 sales all count in your first week. Um, I probably won't have that number. That's understandable. I'm self-published. But I think I think it's still very valid because you you want to make a splash and you want Amazon to see said splash um and it gives you a nice little morale boost as well to know that you've had x number of sales before the books even come out well thanks so much for rebecca for joining me in this episode and uh, her book the adult orphan club is available for pre-order right now or uh, you can buy it um, from the 20th of june when it's uh, published thanks for listening to this episode if you enjoyed it, please do rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, share this all across your socials, and of course, attach a note to a pigeon to spread the uh, tale of this podcast far and wide. And that's it for this episode. Speak to you soon. Bye.